am what I am, and that's all what I am. 48 Hour Art Check, Best Of Podcast. This episode is a special episode from the past that Josh and I are existentialists. Are you crazy? Uh, and of somewhat different types. What am I? And one of my favorite things to do is to kind of discuss the meaning of life and what defines what it is to be human and to be individuals and to be different than other people as well as we are the same. Let's get to the bottom of this. And the interesting thing about this conversation is that I believe it's the things that we create and how we create them that is one of the main components of what makes you, you. I'm Papa, the sailor, and I am what I am, what I am, and I am what I am, and that's all that I am, because I am what I am. So give it a listen and let us know what you think. You can catch us on social media, on YouTube, and all of those things are listed at coreykerr.com slash 48HR. That's C-O-R-Y dot com slash 48HR. The old existential question of like, what makes you you, right? Who, who are you? I find really interesting. And I've been going through and listening to uh, the great courses, and there's a lecture mm-hmm. series on existentialism goes through Nietzsche and all that, uh, Kierkegaard and all that good stuff. Um, it got to the um, Heidinger and Sartre. Um, and, and one of the things that those two go into so much is um, like what makes you you as an individual. Mm-hmm. And so one of the, here's, here's, here's the thing, right? We often define ourselves in society by things that don't really define us but by ways that we are categorized. For example, in, in the U.S., uh, when you meet someone, you'll often say, what do you do? Meaning, what is your, your occupation? And you yeah. give your role in society, right? You say, well, oh, especially my, in I, L.A., yeah. Yeah, yeah, kind of, you know, like, and, and yeah. where I am, it's a college town, you know, most people are defining me by what I teach, right? Yeah. And so it's kind of like random, um, it's kind of like random, like, I don't know, whatever, right? Uh, and so, but but the idea is, Josh, you're an art director at a specific company. And mm-hmm. if you were not, if for some reason you didn't apply for that job, <clears throat> other people would have applied for that job. They would still have an art director, right? So yeah, the art director sure. is something that you do, but is not something that defines you as a core individual, right? I teach classes, and while I teach it a specific way, those classes would still exist in the catalog. They would be taught by someone if they weren't taught by me. And you can take that further. We also define ourselves by the relationships that we have to other people. Um, And so if I didn't marry my wife, she would have married someone. Um, You know, if, if for whatever reason, um, you know, I was conceived one second later, one second earlier uh, you know, by, by a different genetic mix, there would be a different person that came out and that child would still be my parents' first child, but it wouldn't necessarily be me. And mm-hmm. they wouldn't know that it wasn't me. Like the fact that that happened, they wouldn't recognize the loss of me, right? And, and yeah. Heidinger goes on to say that he uses this kind of as a... Um, oh, now I'm going to blank on the... Uh, What's the, what's the philosophy where nothing matters? Uh, nihilism. Nihilism. He kind of uses it from an existentialist nihilist standpoint 
of like, see, you're not that important and nothing really matters because you can easily be replaced as an interchangeable part. But it got me thinking about, especially those that are creative, mm-hmm. if someone else took a story like quarterly stories and had the same story beats and had the same um, whatever, right? Um, you could even sit down and plot it out with them. The fact that you as an individual weren't doing it and somebody else was doing it, it would be drastically different. And so I think there's something yeah. about what it is that we create that makes that is a window or at least a peek into what it is that makes us individuals. And I was yeah. I was I just wanted to talk about that. Now that I've taken up like half the time explaining it. No, I like it. Um, I think that's a I mean that's good food for thought because I, I think um, I, at least for me, and I think this is, you know, I think there's a lot of pressures society puts, especially on women um, in general. And I think they're kind of unfair expectations, like a lot of them, like body expectations, mm-hmm. um, like, uh, you know, parental expectations, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I think for men, I think we definitely in our culture have like this expectation of us defining ourselves. And most men I know, including myself, really do struggle with defining ourselves with what we do for a living. Yeah. And, um, and, and this leads to like massive problems because when, when men in, in particular, you can look at the stats on this, it's pretty staggering, but when men get unemployed, they have massive identity crisis, like mm-hmm. on a level that's ridiculous. And, and it's partially because of that, because a lot of people do define themselves by what they do. And then if they lose that job or that business goes out of business or whatever, um, they're suddenly like left with this identity crisis of like who I am. And so I think it, it really is important to kind of separate, separate yourself from what you're doing professionally from who you are. Yeah. Um, and yet, um, you know, there is something, there is something about creating and the act of creating that is very individual. And so trying to kind of pinpoint that is fascinating. Yeah. Um, I think, it, it, it's an interesting man. This is it's such a deep topic. I'm not even sure if we can brush the surface <laughs> of it, but it's like um, it, to me, it brings up some really interesting things like the individual versus the collective. And right. I think this might tie back to like a video you did recently where it was kind of about a balance between the two. Yeah. Um, because I do think in America, there's, there's a real focus on the individual Right. And I think that can be healthy, but I think that can also have like a cost because I think um, human beings are meant to be in community and with with other human beings. And so there's there's like a negative aspect that can come from like an individualistic identity. Um, But there definitely is something unique about yourself as an individual. Um, So if it's not your work. If it's not like what you're doing professionally, yeah, if it's I, not your family, like you were saying, like your your parents could have had any child. So you, yeah. you start divorcing all of those things. Well, what is it that kind of makes you you? And um, I think there, I, th- I think with art, um, I, I definitely think when I'm delving into auto bio, that's something I'm constantly thinking about. Like, yeah, you know, I'm trying to tell an authentic story that's authentic to my own experience, but is that a unique experience it's a good <laughs> it's a good question right. it may not be you know well I, um, I think i think i think whether you take it from a religious standpoint whether you take it from a psychological standpoint mm-hmm. whether you take it from a philosophical standpoint 
um, the individual is significant um, yeah. and, and, and important. And I think it's important to understand that that's true because otherwise, if you were to take it from, let's, let's say you take it from a purely, um, you know, the standpoint that the individual isn't significant at all. Um, and, and that our only significance is our relationship to the collective or the group or society. Um, then if somebody else can do something similar to what I can do, um, there's no net loss if I am murdered, right? There's no, yeah. what, what does the world lose uh, in a completely socialist situation where, where people are viewed as like cogs is the greater machine if, yeah, you know, which was Josh actually Kimball one of the killed and someone else replaces Josh Kimball to do that thing. And on the flip yeah. side, um, how does society benefit from a bunch of lone wolves who refuse to interact with each other and only work out of completely selfish, selfish means? The, the one, the one thing yeah. that I, I found really interesting, though, is like the story of the shape of water. Right. Um, you have you have. Two, two guys, the author of the book and the director of the movie, they were playing tennis together. And uh, Guillermo was asking that dude, he was like, so what are you working on? And he's like, kind of embarrassed about it. He's like, oh, I'm writing this super weird book. Um, and he's like, oh, tell me about it. So he tells him about it. And he's like, that's going to be my next movie. And what they actually did was they plotted out major points. And they were like, oh, okay, I'm going to be, yeah, I, the story will kind of progress along these things. They had the same characters, they had the same plot points, but then they intentionally decided to go their separate ways and make their own pieces. And so the book is not uh, like a novelization of the movie, and the movie is yeah. not an adaptation of the book. They're two separate things that are doing the same thing, but they do them differently yeah. because of the individual creators that came to the table. Exactly, and I think that um, that's where it gets into this really interesting thing about identity because a lot of it is based on experience, but a lot of it's based on just kind of like genetics too. And, yeah. um, and then based on, I would say like the soul or, but I mean, like if you don't believe in a soul, you could say just based on the p personality you've acquired. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I would say like, you know, there, that, the, the, neat thing um about you know being an individual creating is that like you said it, you could do literally the same plot and what you're going to bring to it is, is something that's very unique to you and and that might be a bad thing or a good thing <laughs> right. um you, you know but but the point being you're going to bring to it all your own experiences all your own um sort of different quirks and ticks and uh like you know, I think we've addressed this before, but like one of the cool things about art is a lot of the time what's considered style is just a lot of mistakes you kind of make along the way right. that, that kind of become like sort of a unique thing to you. Um, and I think that's a much more interesting world where you have like art with mistakes than like a bunch of streamlined photocopies of, <laughs> of things that already exist. Right. Um, but what's neat is you're going to bring all these varying things to the table when you're telling like almost the same sentence, um, you know, and, and that in itself is going to cause these little divergences that, you know, really make your art unique. And I think that's, that's kind of the neat divergent thing about art. But I think, um, 
I think it's an interesting thing to kind of consider. And I think it's a good thing to consider because I think a lot of people are really caught up in art um, with the idea of authenticity, which we're big fans of. Like mm-hmm. you and I are huge fans of authenticity. Yeah. But um, at, sometimes at the cost of the freedom of the artist to just kind of write what they're going to write or make what they're going to make. Um, and I, and, and I, I especially would see this with like younger students where they'd be like, well, I can't do like a zombie drawing, even though I love zombies because zombies have been done right. and I want to do something that hasn't been done. Yeah. And that the, the catch behind this, like that whole thing about divergence and, and unique personal experience is that, you know, your zombie is going to be much different than mine. And if you're doing it correctly and you're being kind of like really exploring and really kind of fully bringing those experiences and stuff to the table, then, you know, like your plot is going to be slightly different, even though there's an old saying that like, there's no real plots that like Shakespeare didn't do. Like he pretty much did all the different arcs. And so like, whatever you do is going to kind of boil down to Shakespeare. Um, You know, there's a million like, modern films and television shows that I can look at and be like, Oh, it's just peanuts. Right. Like it's the story structure for peanuts. Like that guy's Linus. Like, you know what I mean? You can, you can point out each character that Schultz came up with in that little melodrama that he had running forever, you know? And so it's, it's, um, like I, I wouldn't like, I think artists rather than being concerned about like making something new, um, like trying to reinvent the wheel uh, might start wanting to think about the idea that the way they ornament the wheel and the way they kind of design the wheel is going to naturally be um, different. And yeah. so that in itself is unique. And I think if you're caught up in trying to make it unique, you might actually end up making just a photocopy. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's, that's yeah, my own and, and I kind think, of ramble I th- on it. I think there's something along those lines that I really like Um being defined by the mistakes that we make is is almost like the core of humanity you know it's not necessarily the strengths that we bring to the table but our our foibles and our failures that we bring to the table that define uh define who we are and make it relatable um and so when you're looking at when you're looking at something like what you're talking about with like another zombie thing it's been done to death right but it had kind of been done to death uh, for a while. It's not like Robert Kirkman invented the zombie genre. That was something that was had been around and had been done, you know, or vampires, uh, you know, and whatever. Um, and and you get all that. There's there's a there's in copyright. Um, it's not law, but kind of the 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 legal policies or expectations um, doctrines. That's what they're talking about. Is uh, is you have the difference between something that is derivative and something that is transformative. And something that is derivative, for example, I have original art on my walls, right? The original actual piece of paper that the artist drew on has significantly more value than a copy of that exact page, even if it's printed at the same size. And the reason is one is transformative. It transformed that paper into something new that paper and that ink became something new because of the humanity that was involved in it but once that happened then it became um, derivative if it's derived from that thing or you make a copy of that thing and so there is a way 
to do the zombie genre in a super boring derivative way if you literally don't add any of yourself into it. You don't try to reach an attempt that authenticity, which a lot of philosophers say is actually impossible, right? Just knowing that you're being observed changes the outcome of what it is that you're producing. Thus, it's not authentic. But that attempt at authenticity, that attempt at uh, moving in that direction and trying to create something like that is what I believe will make you fail. Um, and those failures are actually what define you as an individual and that you as an individual failing publicly is what will create a transformative work rather than a derivative work. And so it's, it's kind yeah, of interesting in that I draw the human anatomy wrong, right? And as much as I try not to, um, I will always draw it wrong because, you know, this is not a pipe. Like it's, it's a... This is an illusion. The idea that I'm taking these three-dimensional moving creatures, freezing them in time and putting them on the two-dimensional space, there will always be, no matter how perfect I get that, mistakes that are off or mistakes of perception. And yeah. the way that I'm filtering those from the experiences that I'm bringing to the table is going to be unique to me. Whereas if somebody else were to draw the same thing, having spent an equal amount of time studying human anatomy, their drawing will, by definition because they are different be different and those yeah. differences are what define something about and i don't know what it is but something about us as individuals well and there's it's so funny because like even that in itself like the idea of like kind of perfectly replicating something um a lot of people would like almost like assume like a camera perfectly replicates something, but it doesn't actually. And the, and the process of kind of transitioning something to film or to a camera, you actually you lose like the majority of shadow tone that actually exists in the world. Yeah. And so um, this is something like Cezanne got really fascinated with when he was doing like still lives of like fruit um, was the idea that like people had just traditionally been doing these kind of like sepia tone paintings and then just kind of leaving the shadows in like sepia or so it, it would look kind of washed out. But he was observing like these fruit in a bowl and just kind of going, well, there's crazy color in there. There's like greens and purples and like just crazy saturated color within the shadow. And so like he spent like years just trying to capture really beautiful, like colorful shadow. And, um, a lot of people would say like a Saison bowl of fruits much more accurate than like a photograph of a bowl of fruit. Yeah. Um, so the color you see uh, as a human being with like, if, if you've got good vision, you know? And um, so that's, that's another thing is like your own observation could actually kind of bring something new to the table as well, because your perception of things might be more accurate than a camera. Yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, your perception of things is a really interesting phenomenon because the eye is built in such a way, real quick, eye, you've got your cornea, that's the lens, you've got the, the pupil, that's the hole that opens up, right? Then behind that, you actually have your rods and your cones, which are receptors for different types of color, in front yeah. of your retina, which is kind of like the camera sensor or the film, right? Um, and because the rods and cones are in front of the retina, they block out 80% of the information that comes through your eye. So only 20% actually hits your retina, which means that you literally invent 80% of what you see in your mind. And that's why you can mm -hmm. do like optical illusions and tricks. That's why if you're like staring at a fixed point and you go into the upper right or upper left-hand corner of, 
of your vision that like mm-hmm. your mind doesn't even your mind just makes that up based on patterns and kind of soothes yeah. you and tells you that it's creating something. So with that, you're actually building what you see out of experience from what you've seen in the past. And so your mm-hmm. expectation, and this is where Gestalt principles come in, like my expectation of figure ground, for example, or, or uh, you know, similar movement or whatever, any, any of those principles is actually built on uh, what I've seen happen in the past, right? Humans yeah. or figures tend to be convex rather than concave. They tend to move across the background rather than be fixed against it. They tend to be X instead of Y, right? And so because, mm-hmm. because of those expectations, because of the way I've experienced the world thus far, I bring that to everything that I do, including literally and figuratively how I see the world. And so when we talk about like observations, I find that really interesting too, because your observation of your senses is massively biased by your experiences and your interpretation of those past observations. Uh, So it's almost, not almost, it is literally impossible to have an unbiased observation because of what we've been talking about, the imperfections and the mistakes that we make in humanity. Yeah. But see that, that touches on something really cool too, because by its own, on its own, the fact that your observations are so specifically subjective (laughs) that, you know, to your brain as an individual, that means that a creation of yours will be subjective and biased. (laughs) And um, so even in an effort to be objective, you know, you're naturally going to be making something unique. And and Holly um, just said something really cool in the chats, Holly Brown. She said, lately, I just try to mix my interests into a blender and make something new or fun. Originality is a foreign, uh, is very foreign to most people because it's no longer relatable. And I actually think that's, that's a good point. I think that uh, aside from anything, just as an artist, like if you're not kind of mixing all of your interests into what you're doing, I feel like you're going to be missing out because one of the weird kind of undefinable things about art, and I could never understand why this was, but um, even when I was teaching, if I was like critting something, I could just tell when the student was bored, like they might, they might make this really beautiful piece, but it just, it's missing something and it feels like they were bored. Yeah. And it just reads like that they weren't interested in what they were doing. And like nine times out of 10, if I felt bad from looking at something, I'd just go, you weren't into this, huh? <laughs> and they'd be like, yeah, I wasn't really feeling it, you know? Yeah. Um, which is surprise. It's just weird. It's like, um, like I just played a show on Friday and, and I think there's something weird that happens when you play live music, when you're into it. Like I, I had this, these, a few moments where I was like, playing guitar and I'd like look at somebody who maybe wasn't into it and I'd kind of look at them and I'd kind of move like just kind of trying to project something to them. Yeah. And, and you know, it actually works and and they'd start moving. They'd yeah. start kind of feeling it. Yeah. And it's like, it, it, it's like you kind of put out this feeling and, uh, and get it in return. And it's kind of a mutual exchange with like live music like that. And I, I think, um, that it, it it is kind of ephemeral and hard to pin down. It's much like, you know, the whole just trying to define art thing. It A lot of it is very um, <laughs> slippery. 
uh, like intellectually. But at the same time, there is this weird thing about um, when you put your own interests and your own feeling into kind of what you're doing. Um, it, it does translate, you know? Um, and then Pikey Camp said, uh, Basquiat said something like an older idea filtered through my new mind. And I like that a lot as, yeah. a, as a statement. Though I'm not a big fan of Basquiat stuff, but because <laughs> uh, I feel like there's just so many good graffiti artists at the time. And that was kind of like posh graffiti. But maybe that can tie into, because actually we should write this down for another one, but maybe that can tie into our high versus low art. Oh yeah, uh, conversation we were gonna have because Basquiat would be a really great example, I think. <laughs> yeah. That. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I think we could. I think we could keep going uh, forever on this, but I. But I want to ask one. I want to ask one question because I. I have some thoughts, but I like I process thoughts out loud. My my question is, based on that, right? Based on everything we've just talked about, how. Uh, your core individuality, you, you at least get a peek at what that is, uh, a more, a more honest indication of what that might be, uh, when you're, when you're creating something and, and it's based on, you know, your observations, it's based on what you bring to the table. It's based on the work that you've done. It's based on your experiences. Uh, it's based on your expectations. It's also based on your, your flaws and your mistakes and your blind spots and all of that. Um, why why do you think it is because i feel like art is important like i think it's important to society but i also think it's important to the individual and 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 really quick for me um i was quite lost and i wouldn't say unhappy but definitely unsatisfied when i wasn't like currently working on my own projects and so if you look at you look at life as a series of transactions uh, which which a lot of economists economists try to look at it like that, and I don't think that's an accurate way to look at it. They try to say, you know, that people are always going to make the most uh, valuable decision uh, that they can or whatever. But they actually find psychologically that people are more apt to decide emotionally and then rationalize and justify their snap decision rather than like weigh out like all of the pros and cons and say this choice versus this choice has the most benefit to me as an individual. Right. And so if you look at all of that, um, you know, spending your evenings making a web comic or an animation or uh, even, even to some extent just doing art at all um, from a transactional standpoint, doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. If I were to, if I were to do, if I, if my goal was to produce a certain amount of money in a certain amount of time, it's it's an incredibly inefficient uh, way to do that. And so based on that and based on everything that we've been talking about, I'm curious, why do you think we are driven to create? Because it seems like whether you're into gardening or knitting or oil painting or illustration or design or you know playing the guitar or whatever, there's a drive that we have as human beings to create something. Why do you (laughs) think that is? Well, I mean, that's a really, Oh man. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to do the condensed. Okay. Um, And then I'm going to leave it a little open-ended because I, you know, we, I think this would be a good one for maybe the next. Um, 
<clears throat> but uh, and also it's good to I think it'll be good for whoever's watching this to kind of think about that. Like, why are you driven to create? It's yeah. a good, good question to ask yourself. Um, there, there are two answers because I've had two different kind of philosophies in my life since I've been a, a, um, a maker of, of art, like, like very seriously. <laughs> um, initially I was a, a 100% nihilistic existentialist and I bought into like, Nietzsche, a little bit of Sarda, and um, some of the other existentialist philosophers, but uh, but I was more on the like kind of pessimistic existentialist route, where I kind of decided there was no point, and that that was actually kind of like even creating your own purpose was purposeless, and um, <laughs> so the argument I would have made at the time, and I actually did even in a comic that I did a long time ago um, for like Vice Magazine, which briefly existed. Um, but I postulated the idea that people were making art uh, in a response to an absence of a God in a world oh, that was chaotic. And so that like in a world where there were no stories that people found comfort in creating environments that had control and purpose. And so people were actually inventing, it was like a pacifier in a weird way, um, an attempt at kind of making up for the, the creator that, that was gone or whatever. Um, so try, so was trying that, to, trying to address the absurdity of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that was kind of like, that, that was it. It was like, I felt like art was an act of rebellion against reality. Um, and, and and now I would make the argument um, because, you know, I'm religious. And, and here's the thing, like, before I get into that, is, like, I think that art is meaningful to people. So when when you, as an artist, have your own purpose, I'm sure whether whether you're of a faith or of anything, I think there is something spiritual about it, whether it's, like, um, you know, like, even in when I was an existentialist, like, that is still kind of a spiritual idea. Right. was the idea that there is no significance, so we're, but we're attempting to make a significance, you know? Yeah, and, 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 um, the, but now, and the, the idea of spirituality doesn't necessarily have to denote religion, though it can. Yeah, yeah. It, it really just means the you're admitting that there's something beyond the mere physical. Yeah, you're definitely... When you're when you're making art, you're making it a little bit for the feels, you know. <laughs> like right. you've got a little bit of emotion in there, um, and so uh, for me now, though, I feel like we're actually kind of um, like I like this Tolkien idea. Um, Tolkien talked about um, that you're kind of drawing closer to the creator by creating, and you're mm -hmm. kind of um, and you're driven to create because your creator was driven to create. And so it's like this weird, it, it's almost like you're holding up a mirror to, uh, to God. And, and, and that's really heavy, I know, but, but right. that's kind of my philosophy right now. So like, really, um, that's affected the way I've approached my comic as opposed to the way I was approaching it before, because what I'm making right now, like I really do want people to, to read, but at the end of the day, like my number one goal with it is to make something that I feel is of value to um like i that i feel is beautiful and kind of will reflect uh you know the god that i i believe in that's yeah. that's kind of heady and weird and heavy yeah but, and, and i'd like to my, add my, to that really quick because we're way over um i'd like yeah. to add to that though that the um 
I believe that the importance of stuff is in the expression of it, right? And so if you go back to like the book that we constantly quote all the time, uh, uh, Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art, he talks about this concept and whether you believe in God or whether you believe in, uh, you know, you're, you're an atheist or, or, or whatever, um, most atheists that I know will express that there is something just beyond the physical they might refer to it as the universe or you know whatever right but there's mm-hmm. um not necessarily like the socratic you, third eye or something yeah, you know? yeah, the all-knowing eye or the union yeah. collective or whatever that whatever that is um but that there's something and, and pressfield talks about this idea that there are ideas that exist outside of time and if you look at each if you look at each uh society's way of trying to talk about inspiration. Uh, you know, they try to describe that in a lot of different ways. You know, uh, during religious times uh, on, on the planet, you've got people that try to describe it as, as being inspired by, uh, you know, the Holy Ghost. At other times, you have like Greek culture and Roman culture talking about the genius or the muses. Um, yeah. they're, they're, you're almost being possessed by this idea um, and, and poetry was described back then, this is 5,000 years before uh, Christ, but poetry was described back then as um, somebody who is willing to be possessed by um, a muse uh, to express an idea, and there's something in it where there's value in the expression. The idea, yes. you know, and, and, and we do the same thing today. Um, I can't remember what I was just watching, but I was watching a show and, uh, and somebody said, well, that was my idea. And he's like, yeah, but you didn't do anything with it. Um, you know, everybody's got ideas. That homeless guy has probably got five Oscar-winning ideas right now in his head. But, like, it's actually the people who do the work. It's the expression of that idea um, mm-hmm. that matters. That's what has value. And, and, and going back to trademark and copyright law, you can't copyright an idea. You can't trademark mm-hmm. an idea. You can only, you can only like, register the expression of that idea because everybody has ideas and that's not the hard part. That's the easy part. It's those that are willing to make the sacrifice to bring that into the world and have it exist mm-hmm. in time instead of exist as a, as a floating thought. Uh, it, it, it becomes concrete and permanent and observable uh, in, in time. And that was for a long time. One of the reasons why I started creating my webcomic is because it's, it's kind of an attempt at immortality uh, though the likelihood of that happening is is very slim. I want to create something that outlasts me. I want to make something um, yeah. that that is important enough, or not necessarily important enough, but good enough, or authentic enough, or real enough, or speaks enough that once I die, my physical form is rotting somewhere. Where mm-hmm. and you know Shakespeare would say is, has become worm food. Uh, that it's not my physical presence that makes it important. It is. It is the fact that I sacrificed to put that work into the world, uh, and and said something with it that relates to humanity, you know, and is kind yeah. of interesting, interesting thing. To bring this the Shakespearean thing, you want to leave something full of sound and fury, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, even if it signifies nothing, it's like you're you're gonna strut and fret and make that happen. Yeah, um, yeah I think um, I, I I think that's that's really kind of a cool thing. And I think we're all trying to make a mark of some sort. It's right. just the significance of that mark might vary for each person, but um, we're all trying to make some kind of mark. Holly said uh, she feels like art is important visually because it can explain 
concepts. It's like explaining a smell. You can't show smell and you can't audibly describe a visual art. And I agree with that too. That's one of the beauties of comics is you have kind of words and pictures describing, you know, something. And it's very unique. And actually comics, uh, this is a whole other topic too. We should get into that. But like how comics could kind of tie more into the origins of language. Yeah. Um, Like early hieroglyphics were more like comics. And there's this whole Spiegelman theory on stories and the stories of a building being based on uh, pictorial descriptions of, of telling stories that they would align on different levels of a building. And so they started calling buildings actually stories. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. There's a whole, whole thing to that. But, um, man, what a great, um, great topic, man. I, I feel like we, we've touched on some stuff that we could – really dip into <laughs> later on yeah um and, and oh, i and i man, uh, there's too much <laughs> yeah there's there is i i want to say that i was actually describing why i started doing comics but that's not why i continue to create and so i think we should i think we should revisit this uh revisit this topic. well no I, I well let's let's hear why you continue to create and like close it with that because um if if we can condense it because I'm, uh, I'm curious yeah i I'm not sure. I think it still has something about making making the impact. And and Holly Holly said I don't care about legacy, rather uh, the impact and the now. But I think that there is a drive somewhere deep down, whether it's a biological imperative or whether it's it's inborn in in, in each individual and only some people recognize it or whatever. But I think, and this is getting a little heady, but um, and I'm not saying that I have reached this point or that I ever will. But I think true greatness um, is somebody who seeks to make a positive change and is effective at that positive change rather than just seeks to be entertained. And so there's something about um, if, I am, if I am creating work that causes people to think, if I'm creating something that causes some sort of movement um, versus just consuming uh, those ideas, right? If, if all I ever do in my whole life, you know, is, is binge watch TV and I watch a lot of TV, you know, or read a lot of books or play video games, like what, what good have I done for my family or for society or for those in my circle of influence or even for myself? There's something about the act of creation. Uh, on the one hand, you know, creation in and of itself from a biological standpoint releases dopamine and serotonin and so it feels good right it's kind of it's uh, to to a certain extent if i'm being truly honest i i create because i'm self-medicating right because if i don't do that i don't i don't feel good and i am depressed or anxious or whatever right and ironically sometimes in the process of creation it causes me to feel those things as well but um but ultimately i think i'm striving to level up and become someone who has an impact and i think that the way that you have an impact is you create whether whether that creation be uh that you you create a safe space for a certain amount of people or you create you know really interesting foods or you create artwork or whatever it is like the process yeah. of taking unorganized things and organizing them into something that is greater than the sum of their parts is an impact on the on the world around you um and so and i'm just fixated and fascinated on this idea of ink 
you know, this idea of like one value and what you can do with that single value, you can communicate an infinite number of ideas in an infinite yeah. number of ways. And so there's kind of the challenge aspect to it. There's the impact aspect to it. And then there's kind of this yeah. higher level of being uh, aspect to it. And I think I still, from an egotistical standpoint, wouldn't mind if that stuff stuck around beyond me, but I don't think that's why I'm trying to do it anymore. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, there was, uh, it, it's funny. I was thinking about it. It's like, um, I remember there's just been times in my life and I know this is a cliche, but it's like, this is definitely a motivating factor in creating stuff for me as well. And I think probably for most of us, but like there are songs that like literally like got me through high school and got me through junior high and there are art pieces and books that like literally impacted me on a level that is just hard to explain, but like are probably like have, have literally shaped who I am. Yeah. Um, like, you know, this one's a cliche, but like the first time I read catcher in the rye, I remember feeling like less alone because I read it at a really good time of life. It wasn't forced on me by like a classroom, which I think is a good way to come across that book. I think if it were being taught, you might not have as much a connection, Yeah. but I just kind of read it because I was like, Oh, this book's been banned a bunch. Yeah. I'm going to read it because right. I'm, I'm curious, like why did it get banned? Like, yeah. why are there these weird people who've like had copies on them? There's a weird history to it. If you guys ever get bored, look it up. It's interesting. But, um, but I read it and I remember just feeling like, like at the time, you know, I think I was like a, a young teenager and I was looking at people and especially adults and feeling like the whole system's rigged, like people are really fake, they're really phony. And then I read this book and it's like, it, it, it was like, it felt like I just related. I was like, oh, this is how I feel about everybody and somebody speaking about it yeah. and no adults speak about it. And that really connected with me. And like, there, there are a million other books I could bring up, but, but the point being, there is definitely a part of me that wants to kind of return the favor. Like I've experienced that in art and I'd like to give that to somebody in some way. And, and you know, that could be as simple as like, like yesterday playing a show. I hope people had a good time and I hope maybe somebody heard it and liked it, you know, and, and maybe it made their night better or something. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, with, with my comic, I, I hope people read it and I hope they're moved by it and maybe not moved in the way I want them to move, but I hope it does something for them. Um, so that's, that's kind of a big motivation too, but it's, it, it is funny. Cause I think this is just such a, a weird topic and, and kind of, um, could expand to a lot of episodes, um, on, on all sorts of different facets. Like you were talking about the idea basket kind of idea that or the idea um it it, it's like the idea that there's these ideas that are floating around and we kind of access them by showing up and doing the work i love that and that ties into kind of some old socratic philosophies of um the idea like the pythagorean theorem um didn't like the guy who discovered it didn't just like invent it like it's an I like mathematics are really great example of this because, you know, the first person to figure out like one plus one equal two didn't invent the fact that like 
Right. Yeah. You know, when I, they didn't invent the fact that if I had one apple and I had another apple, I now have two apples. Like they didn't invent that. They just, they just discovered the math. Yeah. They just codified it. Exactly. And, but so it's, it's this weird thing where there are these truths that are out there that you can kind of access and you can kind of interpret, but you're not necessarily the inventor of. And, and that, that goes to like, I think that actually ties into art and stuff, but it, I only brought that up just to mention, like, there's so many directions we could go with this conversation. Right. I love that we have so much action in the chats, too. Yeah. Um, like Pikey was saying, the same I, same for me, um, Immortal Ideas. Holly kind of called us on being a little egotistical. <laughs> and uh, she sad. said Shakespeare probably um, d- didn't know the impact of his plays would have. He, he was being selfish and thinking about money, which is totally true. A lot of that was just like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to hustle and make some money here. Yeah. Um, and then uh, comparing creations is risky because you never know the impact of one type of art, stupid pop music it could be equal to deep indie stuff, depending on the consumer. And that, that's totally true too. Yeah. It's um, you could, you could. Um, and I, I would say that as well. Like, uh, like I, you know, I've talked to you about this when it happened, but like the, one of the coolest moments in the last like few years for me was meeting a member of Monty Python, like Monty Python had a huge impact on my life. And that's not like some indie pretentious thing. That's like guys who made really eloquent fart jokes, you know, and, (laughs) and yet they shaped a massive part of me. And it was like a really, it was an emotional thing, like meeting this person who like once again through just really wonderfully stupid comedy got me through junior high. Like right. uh, Monty Python probably got me through junior high more than Catcher in the Rye. You know, so it's uh, there's a whole thing. Um, yeah, and that and the future that, yeah. the future episode when we talk about high highbrow and lowbrow and kind of the class system of comparison uh, and art and how some art is supposed to be, uh, you know better than others I, I think i think that's one of the things to understand is that like for whatever reason and i know i'm it's going to sound like i'm saying this disparagingly um and, and and i probably am just because of my own bias but uh but for whatever reason there are some people out there that really connect to nickelback right that, that really connect to britney spears that really connect to uh a type of music that many people would consider to be you know, not good or whatever, um, you know, and, and, and the fact of the matter is that I think there's something deeper about art than the art itself. And that has to do with like human connection. You know, the fact that one person looks at something and they have an experience with that thing that literally alters the course of their life. It could be a weird and terrible thing. I literally know, um, a dude who, married his wife because of shallow Hal. like he saw this movie shallow Hal, which is kind of just making fun of people who are being judgmental had this like massive life-changing epiphany that he was being a judgmental a-hole and then realized that this girl that he knows is awesome and and you know whatever and i hope his wife doesn't know that story because that would be kind of an insulting thing but like the fact of the matter is that this lowbrow piece of art that's just really supposed to be there to kind of like poke fun at stuff like it's that even that can still have a significant positive impact for for the for the good and so kind of an interesting thing yeah, but i think we're sure. 
probably at the point where you're like cherry picking randomness rather than kind of wrapping up the main topic. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I, th- I think, uh, this just goes to show like, to me, it just reinforces the fact that I think having this like nine minute section at the end of these art checks is really great. Cause it, it allows these like little forums to get our minds working and, um, and thinking about the fun stuff that like, honestly, even just asking questions, like what we're kind of starting to, yeah. it, it can start breeding thoughts that, can lead to like greater creativity or explorations in what you're doing that, um, that, you know, can lead you to really cool areas. And, and so, uh, I mean, I, I don't know, like even tying into my own comic, it's like I had a panel where, um, my dog is peeing <laughs> on, on a, uh, on an item. And I, I mentioned like the, I, I kind of play with the idea that he's leaving a mark and it's kind of tying into the idea of making art to make a mark. And, and, um, so even in my writing, like stuff like that, like the type of stuff we're, we're talking about, like it will impact like little things that I'm doing. Um, even the way I'm writing or approaching writing. So I I love this kind of stuff and uh, we will continue it. If you guys like it, if you hate it, let us know in the, in the comments section. (laughs) Um, but it's great. Thanks to everybody who showed up in the chats it's always fun to have an active chat um it's fun to see our community just kind of so tight-knit and and like continually showing up and and participating in these fun little little conversations we have so thanks for coming in the chats and uh anything you wanted to add Corey, before we call it no, I, I think we're good. I, I'm gonna just take a couple notes uh so that we don't forget some of these things we want to talk about in the future All right, well, while you're taking those notes, uh, the intro music was by my band, No Saboteurs, which you can check out on facebook.com backslash no saboteurs. You can find my work at quarterlystories.com. And you are on Corey's channel, so you're probably already subscribed. If you're not, hit the subscribe button and uh, hit that little bell so you can get notified whenever uh, he has an update on his channel. And you can go to coreykerr.com and uh, check out all his awesome work and yeah, probably stickers for sale at some point on there, too. He blows so hard, he's exasperated.